continuing our journey and our study in the book of James. Uh, basically, when you go to Scripture, a couple of things. Uh, one of the themes of Scripture is the way to God, how you come to know and have a personal relationship with God. Um, we call that salvation. And uh, that's, a, that's a primary theme that you see in the Bible. A second idea that you see is how you walk with God. In other words, there's the relationship, and then there's the fellowship. And that is a very different thing. That is a day-by-day kind of thing. So I, the analogy that I would make is with my marriage. Um, when we got married, um, which was a long time ago, uh, <clears throat> 30, 39 years this year? Yeah. I don't feel so bad now. Uh, anyway, when we got married, that established our relationship as husband and wife. Now, at that moment, that established a relationship. The fellowship is something we have to work on constantly. Um, and so we work on our fellowship or our time together and, and getting closer and closer over those years. That's kind of the difference. Uh, so when we get to the book of James, James is not about salvation. It is not about the relationship. It is about the fellowship. It is about what does it look like when you are a Christian? Specifically, what does it look like to be a mature Christian? So um, this week, uh, my wife and I saw a new show we had not seen called Generation Gap. Um, and I don't know if you, any of you saw this. Uh, it's a new show uh, ABC, NBC, it's coming out on one of those stations. But anyway, what they do is they take an older person and a younger person. Um, so this, a lot of cases, like a grandmother and a granddaughter um, in this one. And then they put them against each other and they ask questions in relationship to things that you would know. Okay, And they would ask the question of the person of the opposite generation. So they have this thing and they do this show. And then at the end of it, and so one team won. And then at the end of it, they had this little section they called Toddler's Choice. Okay, And uh, how old was that kid? you remember? Four. Four years old. So they come to a four-year-old and they say, Now, you get to choose the big prize for your, for your family. Okay? Let me show you what the prize was. Um, an Alfa Romeo 2022 vehicle. Okay? These start at $45,000. If you get the high-end version, it's a $90,000 car. Okay? So this four-year-old, they pull back the curtain, and there is this. And all he has to do is say, that's what I want, and he gets the car. Or this. (laughs) This is a little robot. It's called an AI Moxie robot, okay? It talks to you, it interacts with you. This costs $1,500. After a year, you can do a subscription of $60 a month to interact with this little Moxie robot. Now, they asked a four-year-old, which do you want? What do you think the four-year-old picked? The $45,000 car or the $1,500 robot? Yeah, the family now owns a $1,500 robot. Okay? Why? That kid 
at four years old doesn't have the maturity to understand what has the greater value. Why? He's a toddler. In his world, a cute robot versus a car, I can't drive. So sure, let's take the robot. Money means nothing at that age. $1,500, $45,000, you know. This is exactly what we're talking about in the book of James. James is approaching the idea of how do you make and how do you grow as a Christian to make mature choices and decisions with your life? What does maturity look like for a Christian? And the reality of it is, you know what most of us are doing with life when it comes to God? We're wanting the cute robot. We're wanting something that works for us. The wise decision, the decision that would have made the greatest impact on the family as a whole, choose the car. But at four years old, that's not how you think. Because you have to grow up. You have to mature. What James is going to do in this book is he's going to say, let me show you what it looks like to be mature and grown up as a Christian. And that's where we're going. So this morning we're going to look at three, the first, uh, we're going to look at three verses. Um, and you'll notice that there are a couple of words that are highlighted and underlined. I'll tell you why in a minute. Here's what he said. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I've got three words highlighted there. Because if you were a Greek person and you were reading this in a Greek language, those three words would stand out. And the reason they would stand out is because they're what we call imperatives. They are commands. They are a focus of these three verses. And what he's saying is, consider this, know this, and let perseverance, or this is how you're going to respond according to that. So we're going to walk through it verse by verse, and then we're going to talk about how we apply it um, in our lives. First thing he says is consider. Um, For those of you that are familiar with the King James Version, this is count. Here's what he says. James is saying, look, here's what you need to know. This is going to happen. You're going to have trials. You're going to have temptation. You're going to have tough times. You're going to have struggles. You might as well. It's not if you have it. It's when it comes. It's part of life. Don't look back and go, I don't understand why this is happening to me. I love God. Everything should be all roses for me. No. What he says is, look, you need to count. You need to plan on this, that you're going to have, and he uses the word various. Literally, it's the idea of polka dotting. The temptations, the trials, the struggles, the things that are going to come in your life, he said, it, they're, they're going to happen and they're going to be polka dotted. They are going to be all over the place for you. Some of them are going to be small, some of them are going to be big, some of them are going to be pretty, some of them are going to be ugly. They're just all different kinds of, of plan on the idea of you're going to struggle. And what he says about it is, and when you get ready to, and because you're going to struggle, you need to be joyous about it. You know, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you saying that 
I need to be happy about, you know, you know, I'm struggling with the economy. I'm struggling with my job. I'm struggling with my kids. I'm struggling with my marriage. You're telling me I need to be, yes. Yes. And he goes on in that passage, and he tells you why you need to have joy about it, because this, because of what you know. He says, here's what you need to know. What it means is God's at work. God is at work in your life. Know that. Um, Here's the analogy I would make. Some of you are are, are sports people. Um, So for those of you that uh, have played sports or your kids play sports or that kind of thing, let's say that you have a practice. uh, So it's like it's football season right now. Uh, Girls with volleyball. Am I right? Volleyball. Okay, volleyball and and, and football. So after practice, the coach comes to you and the coach sits down with you and he and oh, I got in the, I got in those sticky tight things out in the parking lot. Um, so <clears throat> I missed that one. Uh, so your, your coach sits down and is sitting down on a bench with you and the, uh, at the end of practice, coach says, Hey, look, uh, you know, Joe, Sarah, Fred, you know, Sue, whatever. Will, will you stay back after practice? I want to talk to you. And they sit down with the coach, and the coach looks at you and says, look, here's the thing. You know, I've watched your potential. And I think you would be really helpful to this team if we could move you into this spot or into this situation. But here's the thing. You're going to have to practice a little harder in order to get the skills you need for that spot. So I'm going to have you work with one of the coaches outside of practice. And it's going to require a little bit more time on your part, and it's going to require a little bit more commitment on your part. But I really think you could help the team the most if we can do that and if you can get that skill level. Now, when you get done with that meeting with the coach and you walk away, what are you thinking? You're looking at it going, the coach sees potential in me? The coach wants me to fill this spot? I'm all in. Yeah, I'll go work, I'll go do it, because I want to be able to help the team. And you're all excited because the coach has taken a special interest in you. This is what James is saying. Know this, that because struggles and trials and testings and stuff is coming your way, God's marked you for something. God sees something in you. He sees something that he wants to accomplish in order for him to be able to use you in another way down the line. Be excited about that. Be excited in the fact that God can use you and God is allowing this struggle. God is allowing this time in your life because he has a bigger plan for you. And in order for that to accomplish, you've got to learn this. In order for you to learn to choose a car instead of a robot, I'm going to have to teach you some things. And he says, you need to know that God is at work when you're going through those tough times. And then he ends it by saying this. So he goes back to it and he says, so let perseverance finish your work. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He says, what you have to do is you have to allow God to work like God wants to work. You can't keep fighting him saying, God, I want it done this way. I want it done this way. No, no, no. You've got to trust him. And you've got to hang in there. And so often, this is the mark between 
somebody who is a mature Christian and somebody who's an immature Christian. Mature Christians hang in there no matter what happens. They keep plugging away. Um, some of you, this is my favorite. This is it. This is it. You don't just give up and let go. You're like, all right, you can eat me, but it's going to be really hard to swallow. I'm going to do whatever I can hanging in there. And this is what James is saying. He's saying, look, one of the keys to maturity, one of the keys to God working in your life is that idea of understand that God is at work. Understand that God's got a plan. Understand that God is is working towards an end in your life. Be joyful about that because God's got something bigger in mind for you. Am I saying it's going to be easy? No. He doesn't say that. Warren Wearsby, when he talked about this passage, says something that it's been really hard for me to um, shake. Um, But here's what he says. Look at what you value. Because what you value will determine your response. He goes on to explain it this way. If you value comfort over character, then trials, difficulties, hardships are going to upset you. If you're really concerned about comfort instead of character, then when difficulties come, God, why are you doing this? I don't understand, God. God, how come you're doing this to me? Why? Because you value comfort um, instead of character. If you value material and physical over spiritual, there won't be any joy. Why? Because spiritual things don't have a tangible quality to them like material or physical things do. If you value the present over the future, then trials will make you bitter. So often, we don't think long term. So often, our culture of this instant society kind of thing. God, I don't understand why you're not answering my prayer. You know, I have prayers that I've prayed for over 20 years. And I still pray for God to answer? Why? Perseverance. Perseverance. I have prayers that I prayed for 15 years and saw God answer. Why? Because it's the idea of in your Christian life, if you're going to grow, if you're going to mature, if you're going to get to the point that you choose a car over a robot, you're going to get to that point then you're going to have to hang in there through some tough, tough thing. A couple of takeaways for us for this week. First of all, understand God's going to put your Christianity to a test. And here's what I will suggest to you. Anybody can follow somebody when everything's going good. You think about it for a minute. In fact, I suggest, I would suggest to you, I don't want to get into the politic thing, but I suggest to you that the prosperity of our country, right, has been the worst thing that could ever happen to us. See, when, 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 when everything's plenty, 
um, you take it all for granted. When everything's plenty, it's easy to, it's easy to, 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 to jump in there. But when things get tough, now you're going to find out who's in it for real or not. Um, this is why, by the way, you see people who say they want to follow Christ, but as soon as things get tough, they bail. Why? Because they're not in it to follow Christ. They're in it because it's easy right now. And so I'm going to suggest, and James, you're going to see this in the book of James, I'm going to suggest that one of the things that happens is God allows difficulties in our life. One of the purposes is to find out whether or not it's real and genuine. The one thing that you will find if you spend any length of time around here at all is there are people here whose faith is real and deep and it has been tested at levels that you and I could not ever comprehend. Um, It's not fake and phony. And over and over and over again, I have watched people go through some of the deepest, darkest, most difficult things and walk away closer and with a more intimate relationship with God. And it has not made them bitter, but it has taken their, their, their relationship with Christ, their fellowship with Christ to a whole other level. And what's great about that is then when somebody else goes through that struggle, they walk side by side with them and they understand. Um, as a pastor, I'm thrown into all kinds of difficult situations to deal with. And as much as I, I mean, I can share, it's like I tell people, I can tell you things that will do something for your head. But only God can do things in your heart. But what I have noticed is there are other people who have been through, for instance, um, when I deal with a, a, a guy who has lost his spouse. I still have my spouse. I've never dealt with that. And I can sit down and I can share certain things with them and I can do certain things with them. But you know who's most effective there? Other believers, particularly guys who have lost a spouse. Because they can walk into that same room and they can sit down on a couch and they don't have to say a word. Why? Because they went through a very difficult time in losing a spouse and God comforted them and now they're in a position to help give comfort to other people. That's why God matures. That's how God matures, to be able to do those kinds of things. And what I would say to you is one of the things that you're going to see in the book of James and one of the things that you see in this passage is God says, look, you need to understand, testing, struggles, trials, difficulties, they are going to come and they're going to come in all different sizes and shapes to you. But in order to grow, you got to be honest with yourself. Um, and I think this is where we struggle. Um, are you honest with yourself? You want God to answer your prayer so you're more comfortable? Or do you want God to answer your prayer so that he is glorified? It's a much different prayer. Um. Paul or James wants us to get to the point that we pray for God to be honored and glorified in everything. 
I mean, I, I think the challenge of Christianity, um, years ago, and I struggled with this for a long time. Years ago, we were taught God first, um, family second, um, business third. You, you know what I'm talking about? It, it was a logical order, one, two, three, four, five. And now I struggle with that because, okay, so, you know, what do you do? Do you put your family first or church? And if your family needs you to do something on Sunday morning, do you be with your family or do you go to church and worship God? You know, how, how does all that work? And here's, here's what I've come to an understanding. A better analogy for your life is this. Think of your life as a pie. And there's a center section in which God is in the center of it. And everything is connected to God. So here's what that means, I think, practically. What it means is, you don't have a church you. You don't have a work you. You don't have a sports you. It's all connected to God. So here's what I want you to think about in terms of this. When you're sitting in that ball game, and that referee or that umpire or whoever it is, it makes a bad call. And you're furious. And you want to scream. And you jump up and say, what were you thinking? By the way, folks, come to church with me on Sunday. I actually had somebody tell me this this week, and, or, or within the last month they heard this. They said, I, I, I was in this situation, and this person was being obnoxious and everything else, and I wanted to tell them off, but the thing that stopped me was I thought, could I ask them to come to church when I was done telling them what I wanted to tell them? Or if they walked into church that Sunday and saw me there, would they still stay or would they turn around and walk out because of the way I treated them? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about God being at the center of all of it. So you are who you are in front of us, in front of others. It's that consistency thing. The second idea is you have to ask, like I say, you have to ask yourself, what do you, what do you value with it? Um, where, where are you in that whole journey to be honest with yourself about your Christianity? Um, the last idea, I think, is this idea of what is it that drives you? How, how are you living through life right now? Um, <clears throat> what you may not know about me is that I am a water person. Okay? I love the water. When I was in... Uh, when we were in Lima, Ohio, and I was in elementary school, I spent most of my day in the summer at the local pool. Whether that was, back then we used to do belly flops off the high dive. Um, you know, now, I mean, you try not to do that. Uh, but I mean, you know, I used to do stuff like that. When I got into college, uh, I was a lifeguard. That's how I paid for part of my schooling, is I lifeguarded um, all through college. I uh, went to camp one summer as a counselor, ended up being the lifeguard for the lake program. Later, when my wife and I um, got married, uh, we ended up in camp work for three years. Uh, I was the waterfront director for the camp. Uh, we were on a 600-acre lake. Uh, we had uh, an incredible waterfront program that we had for the kids. We had a place to swim. We had a big, huge fiberglass water slide. Uh, we had a ski program. 
we would get three ski antique ski boats in every year that were a year old. And uh, so I trained drivers on the ski program. I taught ski, water skiing. Um, we, had, uh, we had canoes. Uh, we had sailboat. Uh, I, uh, I, I love anything to do with water. I've done the whitewater rafting thing. I've done the canoe thing, the rowboat thing, uh, the ski boat thing. <clears throat> Here's basically, in a nutshell, a boating 101 thing. There are basically three kinds of boats. The first boat is the one that requires an oar or a paddle. Kayaks, canoes, uh, rowboats. In those boats, whether or not you go anywhere is totally dependent on your skill and the, the oar that you're in. In fact, when you're doing whitewater rafting, <clears throat> um, we've been down the, the Royal Gorge twice uh, in whitewater rafting, and... Um, you know, confession here, we lied the first time we went because uh, we were going down a class four rapids and they say it's only for advanced people who've been advanced. And we signed up and said, we've all done this. Uh, and we get there and the guy who's the guy looks at us and he goes, OK, so how much experience do we have here? He said, how many of you guys have done this uh, like five or six times? Nobody raised their hand. He's like, how many of you have done it like two or three times? And nobody raises their hand. He goes, is there anybody who's done this once? Nobody raised their hand. And he, he's like, really? Um, so he went through the basic, and in whitewater rafting, here's the basic rule. He said, if you get thrown out of the boat, uh, you don't come back in unless you still have your paddle. He said, because here's the thing, you're dead weight without your, your, your paddle. We're all in this together, so if you come into the boat, you're just dead weight to us. So the only way we're going to pull you into the boat is if you have your paddle with you. So if you fall out of the boat, hold on to your paddle. Uh, and I got bounced out on that trip, um, and uh, but I held on to my paddle, so they let me back in. So anyway, so uh, you know, I love that. But here's the thing: in those kind of things, you are dependent upon your paddle. It's all you. Now, one of the things that I loved, we got to do a camp with sailboat. We had a little sailboat there, one of the sunfish sailboats, and I would love to go out with that. Here's the thing with sailboat thing: you, you don't have to have a paddle. <clears throat> it's all wind driven. So you learn to tack into the wind. You learn how to uh, set the sail and the rudder and everything else to go fast and slow and, uh, and all that kind of thing. But it's all dependent upon the wind. Now, we also had ski boats. Uh, ski and ski boats were designed for competitive skiing. And uh, the, we would get a dealer boat. What happened is the new boats would come out. The dealer would use them as demo boats for a year. Uh, and then we got those, we get three of those boats every year. Um, they actually, the owner of the company, uh, took an interest in the camp. And so he would, he would give us three of those boats every year. Uh, and those things are incredible. I mean, you could, you could rip a kid's arms off with those things. I mean, you put them in the water. If you don't know how to pull them off, you can, because here's the thing. Those things are designed to go fast. Regardless of the wind. And regardless of whether or not you have a paddle in it, in the boat. That's the difference. Some of you in life, you're canoers. You're kayakers. You're trying, you're trying everything you can to get where you want to go. And it's all dependent upon you. And it's really not working. No matter how hard you row, no matter how much you try, it's just not working right. 
Some of you are like a sailboat. The circumstances of life determine what you do and where you go. And when things are going well, well, church, I really don't have time for it. But when things go difficult, all of a sudden you're back. I'm glad you're back. But you let circumstances of life determine how your life goes. You get up every morning and it's like, oh, no. Or you get up on Monday morning and your whole world is determined by the fact that it's Monday. The circumstance. And you live for Friday. Circumstances. Because that's how your life is driven. It, it, whatever's external is how you move along through life. James wants people who are ski boats. There's something internal that drives them. So you know what? If there's a storm, they can power through it. If it's calm and there's no wind and everything else, they can still go forward. They can handle whatever life comes by because there's something internal that keeps them moving. And that's what this book is about. And some of you, one of your frustrations right now with life is the fact that you're doing all the paddling. Or you're trying to let the wind, the, the circumstances of your life, determine how you feel. Um, okay, some of you ladies are going to get upset with me, but you will, maybe you'll get over it, but I don't care. It's your problem, not mine. <clears throat> I have this sign in our house. If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. You want me to give you the biblical version? If mama ain't happy, then mama ain't happy. It's not going to affect my world. You say, yeah, yeah. I already got women going, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Not when you're internally driven. That's the difference. The difference is when you let circumstances impact you instead of something internal. And this is what James is going to get at for the whole book. James is going to show you how to live your life, how to think, so that no matter what happens, you respond with joy and with confidence and with perseverance because God is at work and in the end, God is going to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Now, I'm not saying if my wife's upset, I don't want to try to get her unupset. But by the same token, I'm not going to let her bad attitude affect me. Why? Because it's not internally driven. Is this making sense? Now, please, my, wife's, my wife is a saint, all right? So um, everything's fine at home, uh, you know, uh, we get along great. We don't have any issues that I'm aware of. Because uh, you know how those guys, we're the last to know we're clueless anyway. Um, but I mean, seriously, it's one of those things where I can't let her, and some of you are at the point. You're letting the externals, you're letting all of that determine stuff for you. You're like the four-year-old. Car or funny little robot? And you go, give me the funny little robot. And it might make it fun for a while, but let me tell you something. If I'm the parents of that four-year-old, and I'm getting into my old ratty car every morning while he's sitting there talking to my funny little robot, I'm going to have some issues. Okay? And, and, but yet, I can't blame him. He's a four-year-old. He doesn't have the maturity to make that decision. This is what James saying. 
God wants us to make mature, wise choices with our lives. He wants us to honor God in everything that comes into our life. And he's going to start to walk you through that process of what that looks like. Because again, he's writing to people who had just become Christians and they got no clue what any of this is all about. And the first thing that he says, the first thing that he says, count it joy when you're going through tough times. And by the way, you go do a little research about what was happening in the world at the time he's saying that. Because at the time he's saying that, there are people dying in the arena because they claim the name of Christ. And there are people who are losing their lives because they want to follow Jesus. And he writes to them and says, count it all joy when you go through tough times. Because God's at work. So I end this morning with this. The Christian life is not for the faint of heart. You are a work in progress, and God will use circumstances in your life to stretch and to challenge you. He's trying to produce genuine followers who can endure and see life as an opportunity to respond as he would. Your circumstances and situations have not taken him by surprise. Trust him. And take joy in the fact that he's at work in your life. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thanks so much for loving us and working in our lives. Even though, Lord, it may not work out the way we want it to work out or the way we think it should work out. Lord, may we trust you. May we hang in there and not quit. May we look at life in a different mindset that would see you involved and try to honor you and glorify you in all that comes our way. These things we ask in your name. Amen.